So again, I just want to quickly say happy Mother's Day to all the moms that are joining us here at Greenbelt Online. Man, I know the last year and a bit has been really rough on so many of you, having to be a mom, having to work from home, having to be a teacher at home, and trying to mash all those things together. So I've been praying for you a lot. Danielle and I have been praying for your families a lot. And I just want you to know you're doing a great job. Keep it up. (laughs) And we're with you every step of the way. And so today I want to jump right into continuing in our sermon series of Convergence. We've started this three weeks ago. We're going through a a series based on the book Convergence by Pastor John Thompson. He's a pastor here in Canada, one of kind of the larger churches here in our region. And uh, we're looking at how God wants to work through you, how God wants to work through the church And God moves in supernatural ways when we combine spiritual disciplines with spiritual gifts, as well as letting the Holy Spirit work on our character, developing the fruit of the Spirit. When those three things come together, it's just an explosion of what God does in the world. And so we started this series off a few weeks ago, and we saw how every single follower of Jesus is called to have influence. But the problem is we live in a world that wants to have a negative influence on our influence. And so we have to be mindful of that reality, that spiritual battle that is going on in our minds and in our hearts. Then we saw how Jesus is not only our Lord, Jesus is not only our savior, but Jesus is the model to Christian living. You see, Jesus's ministry was not done out of his divinity because then he would just be God among us. And then when Jesus says, you can do these same things that I've done, we'd be like, no, we can't. You're God and we're not. Jesus did his ministry out of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit that came upon him at his baptism, which is the same Holy Spirit that comes on you and I when we put our faith in Christ. And so it's out of that power that we're able to do ministry. And then last week, we started this off uh, looking at spiritual disciplines. So last week was part one of spiritual disciplines. This week is part two. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to check out our YouTube channel, and you can see the first five spiritual disciplines that we talked about. And today, we're going to talk about five more. Last week, we talked about confession, prayer, simplicity, worship, and fasting. And so today we're going to look at five new ones, and my hope and my desire for all of us is that you would see these things um, as ways that we actually uh, communicate with God, as ways that we just step back from the busyness of our lives, the chaos of our lives, and intentionally place ourselves in positions to hear from God, to know the will of God. See, again, that is where Jesus is our model of that, right? In John chapter 6, verse 38, we read this. These are the words of Jesus. He says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And so we see Jesus practicing these spiritual disciplines of prayer, of simplicity, of worship, of fasting, so that he can know the will of his father in heaven, and then through his spiritual gifts, execute the will of God 
in his ministry. And so before we dive into the five spiritual disciplines we're going to look at this week, again, I want to give a little quick reminder of what spiritual disciplines are not. It's the same reminders I gave last week. The first, and I think one of the most crucial, is to, we have to remember, is that these disciplines do not make God love us. These disciplines do not make God love us. See, we don't encourage people to practice confession, to pray, to be content, to worship, to fast, and the others we're going to look at this week. We don't encourage people to do those things because if you don't, God's going to be angry with you. If you don't, God's not going to love you, right? doesn't work that way. God already proved his love to you by sending Jesus to die for you. Just as you were. Just as you were. And so we got to, there's such a tension with this because the spiritual disciplines can feel very legalistic. They can feel like rules. They can feel like obligations. And so we feel like we have to do it to earn God's love. We feel like we have to do it in order to be blessed by God. Okay. So the, the, the disciplines are not for that. Doing these disciplines do not make God love us. The second warning is to not see the disciplines as a way of making God giving us the things that we want. You see, we don't pray, we don't worship simply to get what we want. Now, Jesus does teach to teach us to pray and to ask God for what you need. But if that's your sole reason for using spiritual disciplines, disciplines to try to manipulate God to just get what you want in life, you might be finding that those prayers are not being answered because the goal of them is not to have our will done. But the goal of them is so that we can hear what the will of the Father is, so that we can do God's will. See, because Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, then all the other things that you worry about, food and clothing, those things will get taken care of when you put God's will first in your life. Then everything else falls into place. When you use spiritual disciplines to just get what you want, to just focus on you and not focus on what God wants for you, you're out of whack of the model and the example of Jesus. And then third and finally, as just kind of a warning, as a reminder before we jump into these disciplines, is that the hard reality is, is that these disciplines take effort and they take time. They just do. Just like any other area of our lives that we want to improve in, if you want to uh, become healthy, if you want to drop a couple of pounds, if you want to learn a new skill, if you want to pick up a guitar, start playing the guitar, all of these things, none of them just happen naturally. I remember a number of years ago, uh, Danielle and I, we were experimenting with uh, new hobbies, and Danielle thought it would be really great if we took up golf. So Danielle and I went golfing with another couple friend of ours, um, and it was a fun day hanging out with Danielle and my friends, but it was a horrible golfing experience. And after that day, um, I went back to Wii Golf, you know, the Wii Golf that I just played at home on my TV, because real golf, I was terrible at it, but I only did it once. 
right? Same thing is true with spiritual disciplines. If you try reading your Bible once and you just can't get into it and you give it up. If you try worshiping once and just give it up. If you try praying and just give it up. It takes time. It takes effort to exercise those spiritual muscles in our lives, these spiritual disciplines to make them a part of our regular relationship with God. And so the big idea that I want to give to you today, um, and this is kind of a key reminder, and this is the big, if you remember last week, I didn't give a big idea last week, because the big idea is for last week and for this week. The big idea is this, spiritual disciplines are not something we have to do. Spiritual disciplines are something we get to do. See, these aren't rules and obligations and traditions that you have to do. If you don't want to do any of these, don't do any of them. But the problem is if you take that position in your Christian faith, well, expect your Christian faith to kind of be down here. Right? Don't expect to hear from God. Don't expect to see God moving. Don't expect to see God stepping into your life and doing something incredibly, incredibly more than you could ever ask or imagine. It's just going to be a faith that's fine. And you know what I think of fine. In my household, fine is the F word. We don't say fine. Why would anyone want to settle for us faith in Jesus that's just fine? When Jesus came to give us life and life to the full, that Jesus wants more for your life than you want for your life. When you think of it like that, spiritual disciplines are not something we have to do. They're something that we get to do, that we have that privilege as sons and daughters of the most high God to meet with him and to hear from him. And to let him grow us and nurture us and change us so that we could be instruments in his hand to be a blessing in this world. So let's continue looking at spiritual disciplines again. We're going to look at five again today. And these 10 that we've looked at in this series, these aren't the only 10. There are a lot more. And there are a lot of great books that you can grab if you want to get deeper into the topic of spiritual disciplines. These 10 that we've been looking at are what are, they're known as kind of the classic disciplines. They're kind of the key ones that most Christians, when they do them, it really impacts their spiritual walk with God. Now, again, there's a whole bunch of other ones, but these 10 are the classic ones. Because, again, the purpose of learning about them is so that you and I can hear from God, know the will of God. Then we can learn what our spiritual gifts are so that we can live out the will of God. We can let the Holy Spirit in us work on our character. And we can trust that we're going to be growing in the fruit of the Spirit. And those three things together just make for godly, effective ministry in our lives and in our church. So the first spiritual discipline that I want to talk about today is the spiritual discipline of service. The spiritual discipline of service. We can read about this in a number of places in the New Testament. Here we can see an example in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, where the Apostle Paul writes, And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then we can also see directly in the ministry of Jesus, and you know, Jesus says these words here in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but 
to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, sometimes these spiritual disciplines that we're talking about, sometimes there's a spiritual discipline as well as a spiritual gift known as the same thing. Some people have a spiritual gift of service, and we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. That spiritual gift of service is these men and women who just, man, they just bless people all the time by serving and caring and and taking care of people, taking care of things at the church. They're the people who are organizing chairs and getting things organized, fixing doors, kind of shoveling the snow, Like, and you don't even have to ask them to do stuff. They're just kind of taking care of business. They're just getting it done these spiritual gifts of service and those are amazing things but not only is there a spiritual gift of service there is also a call for all followers of jesus to serve no exception no exception you know it's one of those kind of challenging conversations as a pastor when I have talked to Christians over the years and I I, I try to get to know them and I ask them, well, where do you feel God might be calling you to serve um, in our church? And they go, no, God's not calling me to serve. And I go, what do you mean? So no, no, I, I'm I'm just doing my thing, and I'm just kind of I'm coming here to just kind of grow spiritually, and God's not calling me to serve. And and I listen, and I try to hear what they're hearing, but the problem with that statement is, is I can't actually find that anywhere in the Bible. Is <laughs> that every single follower of Jesus is called to be a servant? Every single follower of Jesus is called to serve in the body of Christ. All of us. We all have a role to play. Paul talks about that when he uses the example of the body. It's the body of Christ, the church, that everyone, whether you're an eye, an ear, a toe, a foot, a hand, a finger, a little pinky, whatever your role is, we all have a role to play in functioning in the body of Christ. But I think that what happens is, is because the world that we live in, remember the world is trying to have an influence on us. Well, what the world's influence is, well, we're tired (laughs) and we're exhausted and we feel like we're already carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders. So why would I ever want to sign up for more obligations and more work to do? Right. So we kind of step back out of service, but all of us are called to serve. It is the heart of Jesus to serve people. It is the heart of Jesus to serve in the church, to care for the least of these, to care for the widows and orphans, to serve the poor, to serve the sick, to reach out to the marginalized. Every Christian has a role to play in that. And one of the challenges um, of of this spiritual discipline is you're only going to develop it really by stepping in and doing it. Now, all the disciplines, that's true, but most of them don't kind of have as much of an expectation on us as this one does. Like I could just start sitting at home and start reading my Bible, or I can sit in the back row at a church service and worship. 
But this one kind of forces us to step a little bit out of ourselves, forces us to step a little bit more into um, our stepping out of our comfort zone so that we could be a blessing to other people, so that we can find ways to serve, find ways to help. And the other thing about what I think serving in that kind of way does, it also starts taking our hearts off of ourselves. You see, when you and I start practicing the discipline of serving, then suddenly we're not serving for the recognition of other people, right? We're not serving for the praise of other people. Now, this, I'm going to give an example here, and this might be an example that particularly you married men might relate to. Maybe some, you know, you women, you might relate to this one too. You're probably going to relate to it because your boyfriend or your husband has done this. <laughs> so I'm going to call us out, guys. How many of us as married men or how many times have we have guys, we've done something around the house? put the garbage out, we put the dishes away, we walked the dog, we took care of the kids, and we're, we kind of puff ourselves up. We kind of feel pretty good that we just did this, and so we kind of want our wife to know that we did this. I mean, I actually just did this this week. See, on our fridge, we've got this big kind of, you know, one of those whiteboards on our fridge, and it's got everyone's chores that are expected to be done before the weekend. That way we can just relax in a nice clean house on the weekend. Everyone's got their chores. Everyone knows what it is. Mine is the garbage, the dishes, and the pet stuff, cat litter, fish aquarium, things like that, making sure all those things are clean, right? So I, my job is the garbage. It's nasty. It's disgusting, and I, it's my job. Well, just this week, I've taken out the garbage. The garbage was overflowing because everyone just throws it in there, piles it up higher and higher till it's all leaking down the side because it's dad's job to take care of the garbage. He'll get to it eventually. So I finally get to it, take it all out, take out the recycling, and then I come in. Danielle's in her office, and she's on some phone call in some kind of meeting, and I'm like, you know, and she's looking at me like, what, what, what? I'm like, I took out the garbage. <laughs> And we kind of do that because there's a part of us that's desperate for that reward, right? That's desperate for that recognition. But that's not the heart of Jesus. Like Jesus came to lay down his life. He came not to be served, but to serve. And so the discipline of service breaks that grip that sin can have in our lives. It helps us to look more like Jesus in the world, where we're not serving people and caring for people and doing these things for what we get from it. But it touches the heart of God directly. And for so many of us, and myself included, when I became a Christian, this was something that I had to kind of learn and grow into, that it wasn't about my recognition, my position, or anything like that. But how can I humbly serve people? We step a little bit out of our comfort zones. (laughs) little by little, and God develops this discipline in us. So we've got this spiritual discipline of service. Second discipline I want us to talk about today is the discipline of solitude. Discipline of solitude. This is a discipline that we can see Jesus practicing quite a lot. There's an example of it in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, And we see this here. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still still dark, Jesus got up 
left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Right? It's kind of in this moment, Jesus is practicing two disciplines. He could have just easily prayed with all of his disciples. Right? He didn't have to go off somewhere. But we see this again and again and again. We see Jesus stepping away from the busyness of his ministry, stepping away from his responsibilities, stepping away from the expectations of people to a solitary place. Now, I think this is one of these spiritual disciplines that the introverts of the world rejoice. It's like, yay, I've been given permission from the Lord on high to be left alone, to just be by myself. Now, this isn't a discipline that gives us permission to reject people and not to be around people and not to serve other people. No, that's not what it allows us to do. All of us, regardless of your level of introversion, all of us are called to be a part of the body of Christ. We need each other just as much as we need God. Right? But this practice of solitude is a practice where we place ourselves in places where we can intentionally be alone with God. To just be alone with the creator of the universe. For some people, it might be while you're going out for a bike ride. For some people, it might be while you're going for a walk. Some of you might have a special chair in your home where it's just nice and it's just you and God. And then whatever other disciplines you want to do in that moment, it starts with the discipline of solitude. Because again, it's one of these disciplines that Jesus constantly modeled for us. Again, why didn't Jesus just do it with his disciples? Why didn't Jesus just stop and pray in the middle of the crowd? Why didn't Jesus just stop when he was teaching and just take a moment to practice one of the other disciplines? He could have. But there's something special, there's something meaningful that happens when we place ourselves in a position of just being alone with God. We need to take that time to be alone with our father. Again, you as parents, you would kind of know the blessing of those times. Like it's great when we get together and we go and we have the whole family together at an event. But aren't those times where you as a parent, when you have one-on-one time with one of your children, isn't that time just precious? You know, when you, whether you go on one of these daddy-daughter dates or mom-and-son dates or mom-and-daughter dates or dad-and-son outings, those moments where it's just the two of you, your child and you, they're special, special moments. And those are the same things that we have with God because he's our father and he loves us. He loves us so much. He wants to spend time with us. So out of the busyness of life, out of all the responsibilities, out of everything that we got to do, we have to kind of practice this discipline of stepping away from the responsibilities, stepping away from the expectations just to meet with God. So that is the spiritual practice of solitude. The third discipline that we'll look at 
directly relates, I think, with this um, practice of solitude, and it's the spiritual discipline of silence. How many of you, if you're really honest, struggle with silence? <laughs> I do. Kind of my personality type, that kind of little mild obsessive compulsive ADHD type personality. Silence is hard. See, what I tend to do in the discipline of solitude is I like to listen to um, my uh, Bible and, and not just read my Bible. I, I like to listen to it. It's kind of a new discipline that I've been doing over the past year or so is listening to scripture. So when I'm sitting by myself, I'll put my earbuds in and I like to listen to the word of God. Another thing that I really love to do in my solitude time is I love to worship. I love to just put on worship music on my Spotify account. I've got a number of albums that I just go through again and again and again. I love just that solitude time by myself, sitting on my lazy boy and just worshiping God. And I like it loud. I like it when it's vibrating and I like to hear the worship music. Right. Um, but uh, silence. It's hard. And why is silence something that is so important for us? Is because the scriptures teach us that God is in the silence. That God is in the stillness. I mean, the scriptures teach us in the book of Psalms to be still and know that he's God. The scriptures teach us in the writings of the prophets that, you know, there could be earthquakes happening, but God is not in the earthquake. There's fire that's happening, but God is not in the fire. And there's this little tiny gentle wind that goes by and God's voice is in the wind. That God's voice is quiet and it's still. But you and I, we live in a world today where we are bombarded with noise. There is noise, noise, noise everywhere that we go. Again, one of the things that I did to start practicing this discipline of silence is when I would get into my car by myself, I had to reprogram my brain to not turn on the radio. Because it was instinct, turn on the, you know, sit down, adjust the seat, adjust the mirrors, turn on the radio, turn on the steering wheel heater and the seat warmer. And I use those in August because I love the seat warmer in August. It feels so good on my back. <laughs> but the radio was always on. We're bombarded, bombarded, bombarded with so much noise around us constantly. Man, we are so used to having so much noise around us that the human body is actually being reprogrammed to not be able to sleep without noise. You see, it's actually scientifically proven that the human body sleeps best in complete silence. But we're so conditioned to always have this noise that we have to create apps and earphones that create white noise. A little 
or the sound of waves or crickets or something because we feel like there's something wrong when the noise is turned off. But God is in the silence. God is in the silence. To be alone with God, simply to hear from him, not to give him my to-do list, not to dump on him my problems, not to ask him to fix everybody else around me, not to get him to make people do what I want them to do, but just to be with my heavenly father in complete silence. I've shared before in many sermons kind of my tension that I have with camping. Don't always have the best time at camping. But some of my best times camping have been in those complete times of silence with God. And for me, those moments, whether it's kind of late at night, just sitting outside and, and just trying to find a place of silence, whether it's be, when I've visited my parents up north in their place and you sit outside on their patio in the middle of the night, and you just see the stars. You can actually see the Milky Way pathway across the sky. And I remember Psalm 19 where it says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They have no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. It's a discipline to hear from God. A discipline to practice silence, placing ourselves in positions, maybe of solitude, maybe doing it with someone else. I remember a great resource that we um, did here as a church family a few years ago is we went through this curriculum called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And the author of that book, uh, Pete Scazzario, had another little devotion book called um, uh, Day by Day. And it was a journal book where you could do one of these in the morning, one of these in the afternoon, one of these in the evening. And he encouraged all of us, and we did it here in our cafe. We had a number of people go through this curriculum here in our church, and we took two minutes to be still before God. And I took my I would sit there, and I did this for quite a while. And it's a discipline that I'm actually trying to get back into because I see it as so crucial. And on my Fitbit here, I'd put in two-minute countdown. Take my thoughts captive. Try not to think and worry about the stress of the day. But to simply be with God. To listen for his voice. To be reminded of his love. To be reminded of his call on my life. To be reminded of the things that he's asked me to do the areas he wants to strengthen me to do more for him. Those moments come in the silence. So we practice that. The next spiritual discipline to look at is the exact opposite of silence. And it's the spiritual discipline of partying. 
better known as the spiritual discipline of celebration. See, this is a, a discipline um, that should be really easy. The spiritual discipline to celebrate. See, when I was growing up, when I was a young boy, um, the church people that I knew and the format of the Christian faith that I encountered as a young boy seemed to be really fueled by, and everyone I met in that environment was crabby. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of joy. There wasn't a lot of love. It was kind of, they were crabby. They were miserable. They were rule pushing. And it always felt like week after week, every Sunday, everybody was attending the funeral of their best friend. It's like, hey, I'm best friends with Jesus. Oh, yeah, we killed him again this week. Oh. And just there was like this blah about church. There was this blahness about the Christian faith. And people are kind of shocked that no one's attracted to that. <laughs> people are kind of shocked that basically my entire school, all the kids that I grew up with, all of us kind of walked away from the church. None of us wanted anything to do with it because of these crabby, boring, funeral attending followers of Jesus. <laughs> but when you study the Bible for yourself, when I finally studied the Bible for myself, this picture of a funeral is not what I got from the Bible. Right? This picture of a God who's always angry and always miserable and always judging is not the picture of God that I got from his word. No, what I got was the story of a father, a heavenly father, who has an incredible banquet play, planned out for all of his children. And all of us, like the prodigal son, we all kind of wander away from God. But God is there waiting for each and every one of us to have a party with us. That he's taken the fatted calf, the best meat available, and he's cooked it and he's prepared it. He's laid out this table, laid out this banquet. He's got bottles of wine, the best wine, not the cheap, you know, kind of crummy wine, but the good stuff. He's got all the best food and it's all laid out because when that prodigal son returns, everyone celebrates, everyone rejoices. You know, and even for those of us, maybe we didn't wander away, but we just kind of, for some reason, we just let kind of the pressure of life and sin in our life and these things just kind of weigh us down and we've become crabby in our spiritual walk. We've become blah, blah about our relationship with Jesus. Well, that's the other brother with the father in the parable of the lost son, of the prodigal son. There was a brother who never left the father. He was always there, but he's too grumpy and too mad at his brother to enjoy the party. And the father has to say to that son, man, this table was always available for you. You could have had this party anytime with your friends. Just get into the party. <laughs> Like we see Jesus doing this. Jesus lived out the discipline of celebration. We see it all the time. When Jesus went to Matthew, the tax collector, 
The tax collectors were kind of the worst of the worst. The people of Israel hated tax collectors. People, excuse me, the religious leaders of Israel, they despised tax collectors. They were, there were sinners and then there were tax collectors. And when Matthew decides to follow Jesus, Matthew has a party in his house. And Jesus is surrounded by people that the religious people would never party with, ever. And Jesus has no problem being with them because he's come to bring life. You see, those people, the tax collectors, the least of these, the kind of people that religious people considered to be the worst of the worst, they weren't attracted to religious leaders. They weren't. But they were attracted to Jesus. They were attracted to Jesus because Jesus celebrated them when just one of them would turn from their sin and turn to the kingdom of God. Jesus rejoiced with the angels in heaven for that person. It's a party. It's a celebration. It causes us to rejoice. You see, our faith shouldn't be something that weighs us down, makes us feel so blah. Our faith that you and I have been saved from our sin, that you and I, we should have received judgment. You and I, oh my goodness, because of the sin we've committed. And I know some of you are going, whoa, 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 Kevin, I'm a good person. I don't sin. Trust me, you do. And how do I know that? Because I do. We all do. That sin could have been just a little white lie, just something that you kind of told your wife. Oh, yeah, well, I'm kind of, I got to work late tonight, but you actually went to, you know, went and had a beer with the guys. You know, that little white lie doesn't hurt anybody. That little kind of number that you fudged on your income tax, all those little tiny things, all that little website that I went to online. I know it's not appropriate. It's not honoring women, but no, it doesn't bother anyone. All of these things that we do, the gossip, the slander, the mocking, the lying, all of these things before a holy God it's sin and we should die because of that sin the Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death that means the price of sin is death but thanks be to God that God loves us not because we keep all these disciplines God loves us because he created us God loves us because he wants so much more for us. And when we turn from sin and we turn back to God, the Bible says when you just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, you'll be saved of your sin. And that salvation that we receive is a reason to party. That's why I believe church should should be the most fun, exciting place in the world. It shouldn't be boring. It's because we are celebrating the most incredible gift that we could ever receive. A perfect, unified relationship with God. We celebrate when we worship. We celebrate when we see people come to faith. We celebrate each and every day. Right, the Apostle Paul told this to the church in the, to the Philippians in chapter 4, verse 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord occasionally when you feel like it. 
Rejoice in the Lord when everything goes your way and when you get what you want. No, doesn't say that. It says rejoice in the Lord always, regardless of the circumstances, because you have been saved from your sin. You are a daughter of the most high God. You are a son of the king of kings. You are a joint heir with Jesus. You rejoice regardless of any circumstance. We celebrate that, right? And we don't believe it. We don't. We don't believe it. And so that's why Paul says it again. He goes, look, I say it again. (laughs) Rejoice. Right? And Paul, I think, gives more advice to the Philippians. Well, how do we change our mindset? Because life is hard. My life is hard. Your life is hard. Living in a pandemic is hard. Everything in the past 14 months has been hard. So how do we do this? Paul helps us out. This is how you develop the spiritual discipline of celebration, right? Paul writes, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or you've received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Disciplines. And the God of peace will be with you. It's so easy to focus on the negative in the world. And I actually think the world wants us to focus on the negative. I am watching the world around us right now. I'm watching social media. I'm watching kind of what's happening in our culture. And we as a culture are becoming very, very angry. And it's exploding everywhere. Like the fact that people are breaking out into fist fights in grocery stores over nothing. Footage again and again and again of people fighting in restaurants on the streets, people swearing at each other in the in the roads and all of these things that we just label these things. Well, that's road rage. That's air rage and all these things. No, it's sin. Because we're not focusing on the things that are good. We're not rejoicing always. It's going to take more and more discipline, I believe, in the church, in our lives to celebrate. See, because Jesus, he constantly celebrated. He did. He went from party to party to party. He went from meal to meal to meal. And sinners were drawn to it. You see, non-Christians are not going to be drawn to your anger. They won't. Non-Christians, let me say it one more time. Non-Christians will not be drawn to our outrage and to our anger. And here's the thing about anger. I'm talking to way too many Christians these days who want to justify their righteous anger. Okay. Um, Sure, there can be some righteous anger, but... um, the Bible is clear to not let anger, uh, not to let the sun go down on your anger, to deal with your anger issue before the end of the day. So if you wake up the next day and you're still angry, you're wrong. <laughs> that you've got 
a heart issue to deal with. You have to move from outrage and anger to celebrating the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. It takes discipline to focus on those things. Because that's what people are going to be drawn to. Just like they're drawn to Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you for the longest time have believed that God is just angry and God is just about wrath and judgment and condemnation, that you had to keep all of these rules in order to be accepted by God. And now you're hearing me say, no, God loves you and God accepts you just as you are. Well, maybe for you today, you can start the spiritual discipline of celebration just by celebrating your own forgiveness. That God has sent Jesus to forgive you. You don't have to keep all these practices that I'm teaching on today. I hope you'll implement them in your life to hear more from God and grow in your relationship with God. But you don't do these so that he'll love you. He loves you. And you can come to him right now and celebrate that you are forgiven just by praying a simple prayer like this. Just pray right where you are. God, thank you that Jesus died for me. Today, Lord, I give you my heart. Come into me. Make me new. And help me to celebrate this forgiveness that I've received today. And if you pray that, we want to celebrate with you. We want to rejoice with the angels in heaven who are rejoicing right now. A pop-up shows up in the chat. If you would just click that little button that says raised hand, that just lets us know that you did it. It lets kind of the whole church know that you've raised your hand, put your faith in Jesus. Then there's another pop-up that shows up and says connect with us. And that's just between you and me. If you would just click that button, just give me your name and your email address so I can celebrate and rejoice with you and I can get some free resources to you in this new relationship that you have because we want to party with you and celebrate what God has done today in your life. And just like Jesus, we want to celebrate, celebrate, celebrate more and more people coming into the kingdom of God. We want to celebrate our salvation all the time. So we practice the discipline of celebration. And then finally, the last discipline I want us to talk about today is the discipline of study. The discipline of study. I love how the book Convergence puts this. He says, at a certain point, our practice of every one of the spiritual disciplines will be shaped by our practice of study. That I thought was fascinating. What we think of worship, what we think of prayer, what we think of silence, what we think of celebration. All of those disciplines will actually be strengthened the more we practice the discipline of study. So what is the discipline of study? Again, the definition that John Thompson has in his book Convergence is this. He says study excuse me, is the intentional process of engaging the mind with the written word of God and the world God has created. So we use our heads, the brain that God has given us. We come into the word of God and into the world God created. And we do that in such a way that, t- that the mind takes on order 
takes on order, conforming to the order on, on which it's concentrated. Meaning, we let this change this instead of this changing this. Again, far too often, far too often, we as Christians living in a world that's trying to push a negative influence on us, we become negatively influenced. And when we become negatively influenced, it starts to change the wiring up here in this little six inches of real estate, this gray matter, your mind. And then what we do is we take the mind and the influence, and now we try to change this. That's not study. That is something else. Study is when we intentionally take this, we look at this, and we allow this to change this. Because when this changes, the heart changes. And when the heart changes, the hands and the feet change, meaning we do things differently. We go to different places, right? We'd see this again and again and again, that it's the word of God here that we need to spend time in. You see, as a church, we believe that the, that the Bible is God's written word, And it is the ultimate source for our faith, for life, and for practice. We don't just think it's a good idea. We think it's crucially important for your life, for our life, for the world. It's important for our faith, for our life, and for our practice. See, we can read about this, about just the power that the Word of God has in our lives. Here are a couple of examples from Second Timothy chapter 3 uh, in verse 16. It says here again, Paul writing to his protege, Timothy, it says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's that service part again. (laughs) So when we get equipped into the way God wants us to live, how is that done? It's done through the scriptures. It's done through the word of God. It's not, well, what do I want the Bible to say? It's what does it say? And now I'm going to get my brain aligned with it, right? And so, yes, the word of God is useful for teaching, like I'm doing right now. Yes, the word of God is for rebuking, which... In my role, I do from time to time. I've got to say, this is what it says. This is what you're doing. They're not aligned. What's it going to be? It's for correcting. I think some of the times when God has spoken to me the most is when he's corrected me. Not because he's mean and not because he doesn't want me to have fun, but it's because he's got a better plan for me. So am I willing to be corrected? And it's for training so that I can be used by God to be more of a blessing. Again, seek first God's kingdom and all the other things will be taken care of, right? That's what the word of God does in our lives when we study it. We also read in Hebrews chapter 4 in uh, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. 
again, we don't take our brain, we don't take our heart and put it on the Bible to change what the Bible means. We take the Bible, the word of God, the inspired breath of God, and we let it fill our minds as we study it, as we unpack it. What does this mean? How does that connect? I don't understand how this fits with that. I don't. And we wrestle with it with our brains (laughs) because God's given us a brain and God is totally okay with us using it. He's also given us feelings and emotion and God is okay with us using those, but we don't always let those lead (laughs) because the Bible warns us that the heart is deceitful above all things. (laughs) So when we focus just on what we feel, sometimes what we feel is actually not true. We all know that, right? We all know sometimes we feel something that's not true. Whenever I watch a scary movie, and that alien is running down the corridor and he's after Sigourney Weaver, okay, and chasing her down. I know the alien's not real. I know it's a piece of rubber and it's a guy in a costume, but I'm still afraid and I'm still sweating and I'm still nervous and my heart's still palpitating. You don't follow that feeling. <laughs> it's not real, right? We've got to get our brain involved in the process as well, right? And so these are some of the disciplines today. We study we celebrate, we practice silence, we practice solitude, we practice service. And the spiritual disciplines, again, are not something that we have to do. They're something that we get to do. Because of our relationship with our Heavenly Father, He wants to meet with us. He wants to talk to us. He wants to equip us. He wants to take away the things in our lives that are actually causing us harm. And he wants abundantly more for each and every one of us. So again, just like last week, my desire for you this week is that you would step out in some of these disciplines this week. Ask your life group to hold you accountable. If you're not in a life group, join a life group. There's your first step in kind of practicing some disciplines. (laughs) And start taking more and more steps to grow in these. Don't settle for faith. That's fine. Because God wants to do way more. So again, spiritual disciplines, we use them so that we can hear from God. And then we're going to talk more about spiritual gifts to be empowered by God. Next week, we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit working in our character. And when all of these things come together, it will radically change your life and our church. Let's pray. Father, I praise you and thank you for your living word how it does do exactly what we've read, that it pierces us, it, man, it cuts to the soul, it cuts to the heart, it cuts to our attitudes. And so, Father, um, I pray that you would use your word, Father, in all of our lives this week as a church. And I pray that you would use it to speak to each and every one of us and how you want to meet with us. Whether it's some of the disciplines we covered today or some of the ones we did last week, God, we know you want to meet with us. Because your word tells us that. So, Father, help us to meet with you this week. I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that we would be strengthened in these disciplines. That you, Holy Spirit, living in us, working in us, would give us the strength we need to start this journey of implementing more disciplines into our lives. Because it is a joy to meet with our Father. And so, Father, I pray for all of us as we meet with you this week, that you would guide us in your will, that you would show us what we need to do, tell us who we need to talk to, 
and reveal to us how you would have us live. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.